All right, Mr. Uh, Mr. Matty Bambrick is joining me for, for a conversation um, this week. Matty, thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate it. Um, no problem. Thanks for the offer. No worries, man. No worries for, for, for people that have been listening to this. I, uh, I know Matt from coaching in California. We, we didn't coach at the same club, but we coached at a club right next to each other and, and, and kind of made a friendship and, and had a lot of other friends out there. So, uh, so we know each other personally pretty well and we just got to catch up for what the last 15, 20 minutes was pretty good. So, uh, yeah, it's good, good to talk to you again, man. I mean that. It's, it's uh, good to see you. It's been a while. No, you too. It's been, a while, uh, it's been too long. Yeah, it has been. It has been. Uh, right, to, to, to get us rolling, man, you are a, you are a Villa fan and I've been um, very, very impressed with how they've been this season. So I want to kind of get your, your kind of thoughts and your views on it from, from the Villa side of things. But to start with, like, how did you? Because I've never had this conversation with you. How did you fall in love with it, and then especially Villa? Like, what? What's the? What's the story there? Um, it's pretty much ingrained into me from like family and friends and stuff. Um, in terms of football, um, my brother Richard's five years older than me, so um, as soon as I could sort of hold my own body weight up, I was thrown into the goal in the back garden. Hmm. And uh, even our mate Sean Classic. pelting the ball at us and just playing through that. And you just grow up with it. You don't know anything else. Like sport was everything in our house. We were leaving the house on a Sunday morning with mum to take me to football or a Saturday morning to take me to football at like eight in the morning, yeah. finish at 12. And then it's football on all through the day on Saturday and then Sunday. When I was a bit older, seven or eight years old, and I started playing for teams, sort of, we'd leave the house at seven in the morning, get back, out in, and fair play to mum, like, in the, the harshest of cold and wet and rain and frost, she stands out there watching terrible standard hmm. of football hmm. with me, like, just headless chickens running around, and then um, come back, get me washed and changed, and we were back out and doing it again for my brother, uh, playing elsewhere. Um, the standard of football in his team was massively, massively different. They were a, they were a good team in sort of the latter years, but it's, everything we did was just ingrained in football. That's pretty. Pretty much, and like even going to school, sort of when you got to that seven and eight year old age again, it was I want to go to school early because then you can play every break time. Like I remember getting into the lunch hall at lunchtime, stuffing my sandwiches, throw, throwing everything away and getting out to go and play again. Like just mm. no interest in anything else, just wanting to play football. Then the back garden after school or going around my mate Sean's again, he'd come back from high school and smash a ball around. It was just everything we did was football constantly. It was, it was a dreamland. Love that. But then uh, into Villa stuff again, just from my brother. And then we were... We were quite successful, sort of 95, 96, under Brian Little, um, a couple of Coca-Cola Cups. Not that I can remember them, I just remember like the experience and the feeling around it. And then um, I think my mum took us to our first game. It was Atletico Madrid in the UEFA Cup back in the day. Mm, remember absolutely did. none. Oh, huge game. Stan Collins, we were, I think we lost the first leg or it was the first leg there but we had to go out and obviously massive performance from what I remember Stan Collymore scored a screamer but again I was probably at the age where it was a bit too early for me because I don't mm. really remember any of the game the first game I really remember was um, Charlton Athletic at Villa Park Danny Mills scored an absolute screamer of a free kick 
um, it just got touched off to him and he flew it in the back of the net, which then my brother and Sean then tried to replicate for the next three or four weeks. So that was always a, a joy to behold, getting a ball fizzed here by, uh, by your friends and family. But the, everything, again, we did. I remember I got to about 10, it was just filler, everything, wallpaper, bed clothes, everything was filler. You get two kits every birthday. It was everything we did. And living so close to the stadium, we had ample time to go. Class. And then uh, season tickets and all the rest of it, all the way through. Yeah, that's 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 class. Like um, that's one thing I've been unfortunate in that the team I support is so far away. Right, I didn't grow. I didn't grow up, you know, in the area that I, from the team I support. So so far away, I've been been down to Anfield a couple of times, but not not as many as I would love to go. So the fact that you've grown up there and got to go to all those games, I'm jealous. That's uh. That's absolutely brilliant, and especially prem games and big players and that. That's that's absolute class. So, Danny Danny Mills, man, he was decent. He he had a spell like he started in at Charlton and he went to Leeds, didn't he? And he did well at Leeds. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, I think he went on to Man City then. But he uh, did. It, honestly, if you if you look it up, I, I posted about it. Like I did uh, one of my first blog posts was about sort of my background. And uh, I managed to find a gif of it. It was an absolute thunderbolt, man. Unreal. Hmm. Brilliant man. He's a uh, uh, he does a lot of uh, he does a lot of stuff on Sky Sports News and that now. Um, he's, yeah, I've uh, seen. It's quite good. He's he's actually all right on it. I listened to him. He's a uh, he talks a lot about football. But yeah, he's one of those he's one of those classic English English players from like you say the kind of late nineties, early two thousands of that kind of era. He was a uh, he was a solid player. I liked him. I liked yeah, him a lot. He was decent. What? Um, so I mean. Let's let's just get into it. Like Villa, let's let's talk about it now. Like Villa this season, um, have been nothing short of spectacular. I mean, for you supporting them your whole life, seeing how well they're doing this season, like must be like amazing. I mean, it must it must be so much fun this season watching them. In terms of the teams that I've watched in my time, we had a very good period under Martin O'Neill when we first got taken over by Randy Lerner, the billionaire. And that yeah. was a really good period. We, we had some good players, uh, Gareth Barry, Ashley Young, John Carew, Petrov. Well, that was a really good team and that's a fight. And the, we had a certain way of winning in terms of the quality of the football. This surpasses it, the, the team yeah. that finished six, three times, I think, the, for the quality of football we've played so far. A little bit of a dip uh, at the moment, but unbelievable. I've never I've never seen a Villa team be disentertaining this often um, with the ball it's uh, it's been in dark times it's been a joy to watch mm -hmm. yeah it's definitely giving a bit of joy in these times eh oh huge um, yeah. even like I, I got slated for like celebrating and staying up against West Ham but it was one of them we always chatted as a group if we could manage to stay up like we did and it was very difficult to stay up uh, given certain contexts and circumstances then the next summer and the next season, me and my friends at home were very, very hopeful because we've got two very, very invested and wealthy owners. Oh, yeah. And then Dean Smith as a manager is, from what I've seen, I listened to um, a lecture he did at Birmingham City University. Class. Uh, and just, how, just his manner in general. Um, very, very forward-thinking coach and probably goes under the radar more than what he should do. But the, the quality of the football since he's come in has been brilliant. You're spot on. I think he definitely goes under the radar and it's that classic, like, 
because he's English thing, you, you kind of just associate it with that, like, well, all right, well, there's a weird thing with England Day, eh? and, and Scotland too, by the way, but, well, probably the whole of Britain. There's a thought, there's a thought process of, for whatever reason, we're not as tactically good as Spain or Germany or whatever. And in some cases, you can say, all right, it's true. But at the same time, you know, great example of the season, Dean Smith has been proven that wrong. It's been fantastic. Oh, huge Chris Wilder the year before yeah. as well. And mm-hmm. there's, um, again, I think there's a, an underestimation. Even if you go back as far as that, that Leicester team that won the league, if you look at the, the 10, 12 games in the, the end of the season before, the, the job Nigel Pearson and now Craig Shakespeare did. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now at Villa, the momentum for that title seat, that title run came from the season before. They started a bit at the start, but from, if you if you look look look, at, look back at it properly, like there's some really good English coaches out there that just don't get because they haven't got an O at the end of the name, or they sit on a bucket, they don't get the the, the plaudits that um they they probably weren't. But yeah. again, just reading around Dean Smith, uh, I'm particularly interested in Brentford, like I'm sure most modern football people are. Yes, but, um, yeah. Listening to him talk about Matthew Benham and things like that, it's uh. And even recently, in one of his latest uh, interviews, he's saying he grew up playing chess and he was a mm. West Midlands chess champion. So that might give him a, a bit of a, a background into a bit of tactical now. But oh yeah, so it's been it's been good. He, um, you like Villa this season have been, and, and to be fair, to make your point last season when you played that game on the last day of the season, I. I wanted you to stay up because I actually quite liked the like I liked his last season too. Like I liked the team. I enjoyed watching them. I thought you had some really good players. You know your Grealishes and that who we'll get onto. But like, and I thought I always thought the way that Dean Smith spoke was just fantastic. What what so who have you who have you signed? Who did you sign this summer to add to the squad that you already had? Because obviously the growth has been. So quick in a crazy season, but the growth has been huge. Like, who did who have you bought this summer that added to it? So I think we bought Emmy Martinez from Arsenal, who huge. was a, a, a monstrous step up. With no disrespect, not to sound out players for not being at the level, but we had a couple of keepers, and we were unfortunate with Tom Heaton doing his ACL. Yeah, yeah. New Year's Day at Burnley last Christmas, uh, last New Year's yeah. Day. That was that was a killer. We ended up getting Pepe Reiner in on loan eventually, but bit just even, it, yeah, even with Pepe coming in, there's a little bit of inconsistency there. Um, but Emmy Martinez has been huge. I think the one that's starting to get the plaudits that absolutely deserves it is um, Matty Cash. Yeah, I think yep. even watching the Leicester game yesterday, I think the one thing we missed, and I think Dean Smith brought it up in his interview after the game, is that um, Al Mahamadi shouldn't have got involved in something. And, a couple bits and pieces, but from watching the game, I can tell there's a level of intensity missing that Matty Cash brings, but there's also a bit of a disruption in that back five that had been there, just knowing yeah. where they're going to be, knowing how they're playing. But then the threat down the right was completely gone, which when you're dealing with Harvey Barnes, the, the further you can push him back into his own half, the, the minim, you minimise the danger, essentially. But with all yeah. due respect to... El Mahamadi, he's known Matty Cash. I mean, Matty Cash massively under the radar for 16 million, which we were all a little bit thing about when he first came in because as a fan, I loved watching Freddie Gilbert. I thought he was quality. Mm-hmm. But then I, I can't I can't knock the decision to, to drop him out and Gilbert's now on loan at Strasbourg. And 
Yeah. Doing okay back in um, back in that league, but Matty Cash, unbelievable. He, he um I told you I started my fate magic game on Villa and in pre-season yeah. Matty Cash got injured for four months and Ollie Watkins is out for eight weeks, so I'm scraping oh. the barrel to get some signings and I've got two point five million to spend. I don't know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> um but that Matty Cash is uh Mallow Matthew likes him. Matthew really likes Matty Cash. He he's uh he's been a fan of him for a while. That that's it's a great shout, but the signing of Martinez is in the in the last part of the season at Arsenal, I thought he was phenomenal. And then I saw they'd let him go to you and I was like, what are they doing? Like, and if you look at where you're at and where Arsenal are at, that taking him from them has been a huge jump. In my opinion, if I was to pick I still think at the end of the season, unless it goes tits up, if I was to pick a team of the season, I'd, he'd be the keeper by a mile. Oh, huge. Like, again, I think just as a team, we've dropped off a, a couple of, uh, in a, a few of the games recently. Mm. Um, it's hard to put your finger on it. We had obviously the COVID lockdown and stuff, yeah. but all the way through it, again, we spoke about Dean Smith and his mentality, the mentality of Martinez as he's come in, sort of the one bonus of not having fans in there as you can hear what's going on yeah the, the two voices that are very very prominent with Villa are Martinez and um Tyrone Mings like Martinez just in organizing picking the ball out of the air when you just need your keeper to step up when you're under the cosh a little bit like it, it as a defender if you know he's coming and you know he's going to get it the the relief in dying moments of games where we've had a lot of clean sheets this season I think we've had 12 there's a, a couple of one nilers in there. There's a couple of tight games, but having that—that that was what we were missing in the previous teams. Having that sturdy, solid keeper to go and yeah. keep everyone in, keep everyone organised. But then the quality with his feet, like if you watch him on a drop kick, his technique is outrageous. I've yeah. never seen anyone play uh, a ball like that before. Maybe Scott Carson again, a bit of Villa bias because I got to watch him. Um, he had a ridiculous um, quality with his, uh, his goal kicking, but Martinez yeah. on the ball, really, really good. He's it's just settling, having someone behind you that is that good, so settling. Massively, man. He's uh, he's been he's been worth every single penny and more. I mean, I think would you, uh, you pay twenty for him, maybe? Yeah, is that roughly I think that? It's, yeah, about twenty million. And I think people were scoffing at it. Well, you buy an Arsenal mm-hmm. second keeper like Burn mm-hmm. Leno. Burn Leno was bought in for Arsenal. Obviously, he was going to be their number one. Now I think the question at the end of the season is why did Arsenal let him go in standard yeah, Arsenal cool. fan TV fashion? But how did you let him go for <laughs> so cheap as well? Yeah. Um yeah. he's been quality. He has been, man. He's been uh he's been solid. I've been you can tell by looking at him too, like you, you mentioned it, like you can tell he's quite an ambitious person. He's a you know, he's a competitor, he wants to do well, he wants to improve. And again, credit to Dean Smith because he's he obviously wants that mentality in his side, which is which is class. Um, you meant you mentioned the, the Leicester game the other day, actually. And you know what? I said to Matthew, even when you got beat, the final whistle, the way Leicester celebrated, and the way that you looked, the you looked very disappointed. You got beat by the team that is currently going up and down between second and third, and they looked like they were buzzing to beat you. And I was like, that shows you how far this team's come in a season because Leicester were so happy to have got that win. No, definitely. I think, um, again, the one word that comes up a lot is the mentality of the team, and especially this season. Uh, there's 
an intensity like a mentor of Matty Cash mission uh, against Leicester, the, there was a definite dip in the intensity. But um, mm. again, the, the Leicester game, and to be honest, similar with the Man United game at Old Trafford, I watched the Man United players at the final whistle when for, we had a, a slow start to the game got back into it and for the majority of the match I think we were we were really leaning into them like good yeah. quality football and it showed I think if you go look if you go looking at the amount of fouls that are committed against Villa players and if you watch the game again the, the cynicism in some of the tackles the just some of the the naughtiness and having to side us down and catching us on the break and then their celebrations at the end I think it's a, a massive in a massive statement for where we're going as a club, where the team is at the moment as well. Huge. And again, it's uh, the, there's an underlying causes to a little bit of the, the blip in the form at the moment. But in general, again, whether we finish sixth or thirteenth, where I think we might have, I was hoping for us to go and finish, like being that mid-table to the, the best of the rest of the other fourteen at the start of the season. I still think is a really good season. Mm. Just going back onto the signings as well. I know. I get hammered by some of my friends and things about hmm. oh, look at all the money you've spent, you should be doing this well. Right. But if you go back to if you go back to the Fulham loss in the playoff final a few years ago, you look at the, the players that we lost there. We lost John Terry, obviously retired, Robert Snodgrass left and there's a lot of holes in the defence and things like that. Then Steve Bruce carried on for the next season. We brought in five players, six players on loan. But then at the start of that season, we probably had five or six as well that are coming to the end of their contracts. Mm. So we were pretty much playing a team where I think John McGinn was our own player. I think um, Love him. Neil Taylor was playing, who was our own player, and Jack Grealish was our own player. Then you had Tammy Abraham, who scored the goals, and um, a few other players in there. Al Ghazi at the time was still on loan. Tuan Zebo was on loan from Man United. And I think that the job that Dean Smith did, I noted it down, just preparing a little bit. We were 16th and eight points behind uh, Leeds and six points behind West Brom uh, and a couple other teams. And I think Club. we went from picking up 1.2 points on average mm. a game to 1.8. And then general context again, throughout that period from when Dean Smith took over in October, Grealish missed 14 games of that as well. Wow. So it wasn't just the fact that he came in and got us up. There was, there was a lot of extenuating circumstances into why it was such an important thing uh, and a momentous thing for him to go and do for that team that wasn't his. He brought in two or three players in the January and got us up on that 10-game unbeaten run. But then, as I said, if you look at the, the players we bought then for that Premier League season, we had to replace quite a lot of those players. Ming signed permanently, Horse signed permanently, El Ghazi signed permanently. But then you had to find a replacement for Tuan Zebe. You had to find a replacement mm. for Tammy Abraham, which, again, when you go up for a playoff, is the, the common thing is you don't have time to plan. No. So, again, you had, we had to go and we stretched into some of the lower leagues or some of the the other teams in Europe and trying to find a couple bargains there. I think we got an absolute worldy of a deal with um, Douglas Louise from Man City and his visa issue, being able to promise him football as well and getting him in. I think he's been from the lockdown up until now. I think Douglas Louise has been probably the most important yeah. player I've seen in the Premier League. He provides but, you balance in the middle for sure. Provides that balance. No, def yeah. Definitely. And again, speaking, uh, listening to Dean Smith uh, speak lately is that when he first came in, his English was very poor. Like, there's just the human factors. I don't think football fans give enough time to these people. 
um, were really affecting the the on-field stuff as well. Mm-hmm. But uh, again, the, the the point of um, sort of the bringing up not just this season, this summer where we spent well, and obviously Ollie Watkins goes into there. It's ridiculous yep. that we haven't brought up Ollie Watkins. Um, but the season before, I look at Matty Target as well yesterday. Matty Target was phenomenal. If you look at his touch in the build-up to the goal, but then his general performances yeah. in the last 10, 12 games, just a different level altogether, even from the season before. I think it's a combination of the players coming through that we bought in the summer for that instant hit, but then the players we bought previously have really started to get to know the league and understand the league. Again, I think from the, the team that was set up to go and play in the Premier League, Tom Heaton obviously had the most experience and then Grealish played a few games at 19 and then you sort of only got a smattering of players that had played a lot of Premier League football. Yeah. So there was a, a, lot, there was a lot going on that the coaching staff had to go and deal with. It wasn't just the fact of we've bought ready-made players for all that money. We, If you think about an average Premier player, Premier League player now, you're looking at 18 to 25 million, whereas we were buying oh, yeah. 10 million, 11 million. It was a, a very, very um, a different situation that we had to deal with uh, compared to, again, the success of Sheffield United. Most of those players come through League One, Championship, and in the Premier League. Yeah, um, just on. listening to you boys talk to it the other day, it's just like they just haven't probably taken that next step and evolved on as much as what they needed to. But Yeah, yeah, they, they've struggled this season, but. It's this is why I like having like people on that that support other teams too because all that you just said there like I kind of knew a couple of things but you know when you take it into the context of of you know where you've been and all those things that you have to deal with being on the inside it makes it makes it even more impressive whereas the out you know regular people will be like oh look at who they bought they've done really well and it's like well there was a lot of things that they had to deal with and lead up to that so. It just makes you makes you understand it more and, and kind of feel like they deserve even more credit than they're getting, you know what I mean? Oh, huge, and I think this is just, a, again, probably a lot of Villa bias in this, but there's yeah. obviously a lot of um, there's a lot of stuff on Bielsa and the impact he's had at Leeds. Mm-hmm. My argument with that is that, compared to the job Dean Smith's done, is that he had a pre-season less to go and get them up. He didn't have some of the pre-season, so he got a team up that wasn't really his team. Yeah. Then he's kept them in the Premier League and now we've stepped on. I know there's a lot of hubbub and stuff around our Leeds can finish in Europe and stuff and look at the job he's doing. We also still had two full seasons with that team now, similar to yeah. what Chris Watt yeah. had. And my argument would be, I'm, I'm not knocking Leeds in terms of they do play really good football. It's like watching uh, Newcastle back in the 90s mm. when they are exciting to watch. But... Mm. I think, again, that under the radar, I think whether he likes it or not, I think the, the job Dean Smith and uh, the owners and Christian Perslow have done doesn't get the recognition it ought to, considering, again, that wider context into where the club was. Like We, we weren't paying a tax bill. We yeah. were nearly wound up with the former owner. Um, so like to go from the, the brink of non-existence to go full Accrington Stanley, for the want of a better example, mm. to mm-hmm. where we are now, Unbelievable! That's class, man. That's uh, no, that that that's really good. And uh, yeah, like I say, I, I've enjoyed Dean Smith. What um, I've chatted about this with uh, with all my mates over here too, because this is quite an interesting thing. And I don't know if you have any, if you've seen, read things on social media about it, or you know from 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 just being a Villa fan. But like, what part? Uh, the better way to put it, I guess, would be I feel like you guys have been 
really hard to beat at, while also at the same time when you attack being good to watch, right? So, and this is my, my argument a lot of the time, and I know you need to have the players, but I think you can still be hard to beat, but still be good attack. You know what I mean? Still be good attacking. So on the defensive side of things, like what role do you think John Terry's played in that? Because, you know, probably the greatest or one of the greatest centre-backs to have played the game in general, never mind just in the Prem, he was phenomenal. So, yeah, I'm just wondering if you think he's had a big role in that. Uh, huge. I think his impact on the club was um, even before he came in as an assistant coach. Um, I think he was the, we had a, quite a poisonous atmosphere around the club when he came in. Hmm. Um, we, were, we were struggling at the time. Um, and uh, I think he's one person in particular that's really helped mould who Jack Grealish is at the moment. I'm sure we'll speak about Jack later, but right, we'll as a person, I think, I think John Terry, uh, as he's coming to the coach, 100%, like, you win Champions League, you, you captain your country, you captain Chelsea, you win the Premier League, you work with great coaches, you pick up a lot of stuff. Um, yeah. The man's made to be successful for want of a better phrase, but and he's definitely had um, an impact on it. And, I was listening to you boys talk about Frank Lampard and obviously I agree with you guys that he was probably a bit unfortunate to get the chop considering what might have happened above him and did mm. the players come in? Are they necessarily his players because of everything else going on? But I think in terms of John Terry, what he's doing and how he's doing it is the perfect apprenticeship under Dean Smith and Richard O'Kelly and now with Craig Shakespeare as well. Yeah. They're all sort of down-to-earth characters. They've come up through the leagues, through doing the academy stuff at Warsaw and things like that. And I think working with them has been nearly a perfect partnership for them, a really mm. good way to go and learn and get down to the the bare brass of it and work his way up. Um, yeah, but man. definitely, and just back to that front Lampard point, I sort of lost myself there, is that you were chatting the other day and it was a case of, a good coach is one that impacts the team or you can see that an intervention's been made and it's impactful on the field. And I think during that lockdown break, I think as much as it goes, probably goes against Dean Smith's ideology a little bit about who he is and how he likes his teams to play. Like his Brentford teams are always so good going forward. Like mm. Ryan Woods used to tear us to pieces. If you ask most people who Ryan Woods is, you wouldn't have a clue. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then I think with John Terry and that bro- the break and understanding what the, the pitfalls were during the lockdown and getting at the players and working on what they needed to work on, I think there's been a huge a huge difference. And again, them working together and accepting that we might have to we might have to forego a little bit of that attacking all out attacking play, that gung ho ness that we saw at the start of the season. Like we were very unfortunate to not get anything at Spurs at Arsenal. Crystal Palace, there were, there were five or six games in the first three months where we played some really good open football. Uh, we played Burnley at home and didn't get the three points. And it was very outgoing attacking football, which is great. And if you get the wins, especially that confidence broods and it builds and it, it builds momentum. Of course. Then it wasn't going that way. And I think the, the change the coaching staff made during the lockdown and what they attempted to do and how it came off was so clear. Even from the first half, ghost goal aside against Sheffield United, the the distance between the lines, the, how compact and how tight we were and how difficult we became to play against is 
a huge testament to the players, but again, for the coaching staff to see it, to be able to work on it and then to impact it on the field is, is massive. Huge, man. Do you, do you, like, do you, I mean, maybe too early to ask, and I know he was getting linked to the Bournemouth job, but do you see Terry probably stepping in to be a, a manager, a coach, first team? Oh, without a shadow, without a shadow of a doubt, and I think even Dean Smith mentioned it himself when he was asked about uh, John Terry and where he was, and apparently he was being interviewed for the Bournemouth job, and then three or four hours later, he wasn't getting interviewed for the Bournemouth job. I think he knows himself when and if the right opportunity comes. They've got to come to the club first because he's a club employee, but he knows there's there's a time on this. That he knows there's a, va- a massive value to having John Terry. Of course. Um, so I don't think we're not going to let him go easy, but uh, we know we're going to let him go. There's a, an, an inevitability about it. Um, and again, like I said at the start of the question, or the start of the answer to the question, I really... I really admire him stepping into maybe not stepping straight into the limelight and going and using his name yep. and taking that first manager's job with very little coaching experience. I think it's um, it's a bit of a common theme. Like you look at Brendan Rodgers, who's again he was at U Boys and he did really well there with um, that Liverpool team. Great to watch, but again, did it did his uh, due diligence in the the youth academies and from smaller clubs and. Worked his way up, Graham Potter, Steve Cooper now at um, Swansea. I think there's there's a definite trend to some of the younger coaches of how they're starting. And I think mm. it, it, it's easier for an ex-pro to get through the door. So I, I admire so much more that John Terry's not taken that. I'll use my name and I'll get through the door and it'll, yeah, it'll yeah. get me going. And I'll learn the job from there. I'll learn the job and then I'll get through the door as a, a first-team manager. It's, um, I agree. It's not an easy one to do. And I know, again, it, it's varying degrees of success. Stevie G's gone straight into Rangers and done, done fantastic. And I think the lesson there, there's no, there's no one path. Yeah, that. there's not. Some people are just, you know, you even look at Pep, right? Went from the Barca B and, and took on a massive job in, in Barca. And look what he did. You can say, say what you want, that he had the players and all that, all that talk that goes on. But some people, it's like, like any role in life. Some people can step straight into the biggest limelight and do well and, and others don't don't and they need the time so I think that definitely you know what you said there about like Dean Smith and you know bringing him on board and everything I think that helps because I think Terry will have respect for him too right and I want to learn off him and Dean Smith will be fair to him and it just works all around for everyone it really does man it's uh you've got a good setup there it's a good setup yeah and, and um you know do, do you before we move on to, to Grealish and finish off the villa chat like you know, saying it's a good setup. Do do you feel that how well you're doing is is a bit of a I don't I'm gonna use the word fluke. Like do you feel like it's a fluke because of the season or do you genuinely feel like okay, I can see Villa over the next, you know, two, three years, you know, challenging at the level that they're doing now? Um I think the start of the season really started off. It was crazy, the amount of goals. I think having a reduced pre-season, some of the bigger teams having an extended season with the Champions League obviously set the stage for teams like Southampton, Villa, West Ham to potentially have more of a goal at what's going on. Um, the compactness, the shortness of the season helps in there. And then obviously good fortune sort of thing uh, as well. Um, comes into it in terms of it being a fluke again 
I honestly don't think so. I think from the, the first moments that the, the new owners came in, Christian Perslow came in, Dean Smith came in, I think there's been, um, there's been a strategy put in place and it's just a ruthless execution of that strategy all the way through. Um, I think it's happened a little bit quicker than anticipated in some aspects, especially the promotion. Yeah. Um, but I think this is just a real starting point again. There's, a, there's been a huge mentality shift at the club and I know I keep going back into the past of what it was like, but the previous 10 years to go to, go to Villa Park and watch a Villa team play was, number one, quite painful at times. Mm. It, was, it was sort of turning when we had Gerard Houllier, but when the football's really painful, Villa Park's probably one of the hardest places to go and play because you, you get about 15 minutes into the game and I've been there myself and through youthful enthusiasm have been part of the problem as well. We were so quick to get on the back of the players, but mm-hmm. then the, the, just the quality of the players weren't there. It was a very, very poisonous place to be. You got the, the Jolie and Lescott thing with the, the accidental photo. But then the mentality shift that we've had has been it's very much transformational leadership from top to bottom, the way staff have been treated, even from my small time being there in the foundation uh, and at the soccer schools the way the staff were let go when we got relegated, the way things were dealt with under, um, I think it was Tom Fox at the time, the CEO. It was a cold, not a very nice place to be. Mm -hmm. In terms of a fluke for this season, again, I I just don't see it. I think, number one, the financial pedigree and the financial desire is there to go and spend if we need to spend. Interesting. uh, Sorry, mate. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead, mate. Turn. Uh, the air cons a nightmare here. Uh, <laughs> no worries. So, like Laura's got to deal with it all the time, bless her, from jumping on one zoom to the other. Oh, good, mate. I remember having to do deal with the air con. Yeah. Um, um, is it quite loud in your ear? Can you hear it? No, you're good. It's gone off now. Like oh, it popped up there okay. for a second, and now it's good. So, you're good. Okay, cool. Yeah. All right, um, so, where, where, in ter- like the, the owners coming in, the, I think. I looked at the league table someone put together, whether it's Forbes or somewhat, that outside of Man City, they're, as an accumulation of wealth, they're huge. Right. Uh, Suarez and uh, Wes Edens. And then if I, one real good comparison to look at is uh, Wes Edens owns the Milwaukee, I think it's the Milwaukee Bucks, the basketball team out here. Right. Dealing with a very similar club. There's a couple of really good young players in there. They've managed to keep their top talent in Giannis. I can't spell his last name, so I'm not going to embarrass myself. Don't even try. Um, But um, there's a full process there. There's a strategy there. And again, I think this is going to be a long-term thing of a desire to get Villa back to the club that I think a lot of fans, if they were quite honest, deserve to be sort of Mm. top seven club. I was going to go and challenge for... Are we going to challenge for titles? Who knows? We've been we've had a couple of stabs at it and just drifted off. But um, for this season, no, I think this is very much a building block. I think yeah. what we've got to be very aware of is right. What's the next the next spot? Well, who do we go and get in the summer? It's sort of that time of the season where you see teams like Southampton, Villa, West Ham. Maybe not so much West Ham. I think West Ham have got a really good shot at going Champions League as much as I hate to say it. Mental, um, man, mental. But fair play to David Moyes, like, again, underrated British coach. Um, but I think this is the part where you start planning for the next season. And I think this will be a real big challenge now for how they manage it. I don't think the the club, with bringing in um, 
Johan Lang from FC Copenhagen. Again, very forward-thinking. I hate saying data-driven club because they, the, the statistical side of it should just be the, the filtering process, not the actual bedrock to everything. Agreed. But um, I think there's going to be decisions to be made now over certain people with contracts, but over are you going to sign to build a bench or are you mm-hmm. going to sign to replace a first-team player? There so then go. that brings in really difficult questions. John McGinn, is John McGinn a player able to take us into the top six on form? I absolutely believe so, but do we need someone in there to go and challenge him? Without a shadow of a doubt, Douglas Luiz, Tyro Mings, maybe a couple of players that would be stretched into their third season now. Do you fall into the Sheffield United problem where we didn't evolve or do you go and kick on another level like uh, Leicester? Leicester bringing in Yuri Tielemans, unbelievable footballer. Yeah. Justin, good identification, recruitment again. I think Leicester are a fantastic model for what we'd want to do. Not so much Very Premier true. League winners Leicester, but the, the evolution no, yeah. of Leicester. I get it. That, that, yeah. that makes sense. And actually... When you just said that, there, I'm like, yeah, that that's totally. I could definitely see that. And like you said earlier, man, Villa are Villa are a huge English club. Like we, you know, I've said this on here before, and I'm definitely guilty of it. But you fall into this trap of the bit of the big six, right? The package you get from Sky, and 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 all right, yeah, okay, those six teams have probably been the ones that have been up there for the most part. But you know, West Ham, Aston Villa, massive English clubs, and I think it's important. You said you 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 keep going back to the history, but I think it's important because as a fan, it's all it's the context and it's the journey and it's the ride of the ups and the downs, right? I mean, again, with Liverpool, maybe not this season, right? But uh, <laughs> last couple of years, uh, you know, highs, the highest of the highs that I've never experienced before as a Liverpool fan, right? And and before that, I've had, of course, yeah, I know we still won a couple of a Champions League and a couple of FA Cups and all that. Don't get me wrong, but. You know, you you go through shit times and you go through and you go through good times, and it's um, it's part of the journey. But what what about what about Jackie Jackie Grealish then? Because I was someone that up until I would say up until this season, to be honest with you, I thought that he had loads of talent. I thought he was absolutely fantastic to watch, but I felt like he needed to impact games more consistently. Like I wanted to see him take the game by the scruff of neck for 90 minutes and do it week in, week out. You know what I mean? And, um, you know, like you said, with the date a bit, it should just be the bedrock. But just bump those numbers up a little bit. A few more assists, a few more goals. I'm not saying that he needs to score 20 goals a season or that, but just a few goals and assists. And he's done every single bit of that this season. I mean, he's been, he's been phenomenal. And I messaging you about it yesterday... There's genuine conversations over here, the way that it's talked about with all the English media, that it's almost like he might not get into the squad. And I'm like, use he's probably your best player at the moment. Oh, um, as, a, as an Ireland fan as well, to have him go all the way through the Irish youth ranks and then to choose England was a little bit of a heartbreak and it's a bit of a black mark on him, but yeah, I can completely yeah, yeah. understand it. Yeah. Um, I've, I think in terms of the players that I've seen live, uh, I'm fortunate having a season ticket between 2003 and 2010. I think it was 2009, just before I went to university. I watched a lot of, I watched a lot of good footballers play. I think in terms of watching someone live, and to see a team react against a certain individual, I've not seen teams react to an individual player like Grealish 
the intensity to go and try and close him down. Yeah. But, uh, I, I, for me, he's the, the best football I've seen live. Again, Villa tinted glasses on, I accept it, and that's fine. Good player. But, uh, again, uh, I've not seen a player move with the ball the way he does, it, even from just a coaching perspective. If you watch how he moves with the ball, he leaves it there, he gives you half a sniff at it, and then it's gone. Mm-hmm. And he's not mm-hmm. one-dimensional in how he does it, and he's not. it's not as what you'd sort of see from uh, Cristiano Ronaldo in his high day or anyone like that. It's not, it's not about scissors or anything like that. It's just sheer change of direction. Um, technically. As a football, te- technically, he's fantastic. Mm-hmm. He looks after the ball so well. And it's, it's not been... A, I can see what people can see about it. I think we had a similar thing back in the, the, the 2000s with Gareth Barry not getting into the England team. As yeah. Villa fans watching him every week, he stood mm. out by an absolute country mile and not even playing in his best positions, like his left back and then left midfield. And then he moved into centre midfield and started to get his chance. But I think it's one of them when you see a player so often, it's hard to think, how isn't he there? Um, yeah. And I think now, now with lockdown and people being able to probably have a a bigger stake in watching Villa play. I think people can see some of the, the furore around him. And again, it's not been easy. He's had issues off the field. He's he's a bit of a boy uh, from what you can see. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But I think, probably, I think that's important too. I think that's part of him. Uh, again, this yeah. is um, this this is the, the quintessential thing that comes back to every single major tournament that England failing. We don't have a maverick. We don't have someone who can do something different. We don't have anyone that Spot can on. kick the lock. Um, always had really good players, always technically very decent, always physically strong and able to, but just that little bit of madness, that little bit of craziness and creativity, they've probably just missed out on where like, you might see that the Dutch probably have too much of that individual uh, magic and it all goes Hayward in their team, their team unit. The England team need a bit of that in that to go and be successful. They need someone who can come and, deal with teams that play in a low block against them and just do something ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. And I think if you, you put Harry Kane up front and you put Phil Foden, and Jack Grealish and Raheem Sterling behind him, I don't Scary. think that there's, there's many front fours that would be better than that. And again, I watch an MB as a as an Ireland fan to an England team, like I'm sure you've done with the, with the Scottish team. Yes. The amount of wow. talent they've got is unbelievable for him not to be it's not just a conversation it should be of him getting in the squad to go to the Euros it should be the conversation of do you where do you put Sterling and Foden around him does Foden go in as a 10 is jacking up the 10 is to let them sweep around and flip around but it shouldn't be a question of if he's in the squad it should be where in the 11 he plays him to get his best football agreed man it, 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 it's not even a, it's not even a debate for me and don't get me wrong right the type of player he is, and, and maybe of no fault of his own, he is the type of player that could go to a major tournament and not do anything. Like Harry, Harry Kane's always going to score. Raheem Sterling's always going to be that on, you know, on the wing, twisting and turning people. And the way that Grealish plays is it's the downside of those players is that sometimes they, they can go missing, right? He's showing that he knows how to stay, get himself in the game and take it for the scruff and at the villa. But, like, I agree with you. It's not... It's not, is he even in the team? It's like, where do you play? And like, who are you Who are you potentially even dropping to have him in there? Because he has to go. He has to go and he has to start. If they don't, I think they take him like, but 
Like I don't I don't think he starts every game or starts all the time, which would be bizarre. Yeah. And it's been a weird, weird relationship with him and Southgate. It has. Again, that, that goes back to sort of the relationship Villa fans had with England managers around Gareth Barry and things like that. Yeah. Different under O'Neill when we had Milner down in Young. Uh, Gabby was in there as well. Bless him. Um, yeah, Gabby um, But uh, it, it's an interesting relationship Southgate's got with Grealish. It's a case of does he trust him to take him away to a major tournament and rely on him to do that, given um, off-the-field stuff? But again... You need a madman in there. You need that maverick. And England have got to a point now that they're starting to... They've they've really done well bringing through very, very good technical footballers. Again, Phil Foden's another one. I think he'll he'll be outrageous. Your Rashford's of the world, very efficient at what he does. Um, England have got a really good pool of players again. But I think even if you listen to um, a couple of his friends from around the area talk, um, James Madison, uh, Ross Barkley... Um, from bits and pieces of interviews, they see Grealish as one of the more talented players. So I think the consensus was Ross Barkley was the most talented out of all of them. Um, from what I from what I remember of an interview, yeah, yeah. In Jack, Jack's just a different level um, off the cuff. And like you said, he, he starts to put goals and assists to it. I don't think there's anyone even close to him. It's all the talk of how many fouls is he going to get to, how many times is he going to be involved with a goal today. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a, a big step up sort of thing. It's a, a very big conversation changer. No, it is, man. He's uh, he's he's impressed me. I'll finish off. We'll finish off in Villa with this. Like, is there is there an acceptance from from you and Villa fans that at some point, if he carries on like this, he goes? Uh, there's less of an inevitability to that than John Terry leaving. Um, right. He just signed a five-year deal in the summer. Yep. Um, obviously, Captain. again, state, statement of intent from the ownership in keeping their best players. Um, something, again, going back to speaking about Wes Edens and the Bucks, is something that, as a, a franchise or club owner, is very aware of keeping your best young talent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's a necessity to build on. My question, and I've said this to a couple of people, in England, who would he go to that's worthwhile going to at the moment? You might look at Man City. Is he going to play every week? Liverpool, does he fit the style? Probably not as direct as what Liverpool would like. Agreed. If you look at Salah and Mane. Um, Agreed. And then Man United have got 100 million players for the same position, just no defenders. Yep. And then I honestly think, and this is hand on heart, honestly, I think if, if and when Barca and Real get to sort of their financial plump, and get back on their feet after COVID. I, I can genuinely see him being in there. I, I can. Um, I have no I doubt can. about that. And I'll get slight, probably get possibly get slighted for it, but hmm. he's just that good. So the, the the question is, who's he worth? Where's worthwhile going to? Is the first question. And then who's got the financial uh, prowess to go and do it? Because it's, it's his gonna... price tag goes up every single game. Yeah. If if you if United were looking at Jaden Sancho for 120 million and or all things considered, you're in a two-team league, three-team league in Germany mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. It's great that he's doing it, but look what he's got around him as well. Look what Jack Grealish is doing in the Premier League with a very talented bunch of players, but maybe not Dortmund's level of Champions League level players. But oh, yeah. if you're going to pay 120 million for Sancho, then 
again, for the bias claim at me all you want, it's, um, it's a case of Jack's that, if not more, for what he can do. Absolutely, man. He... Yeah, go on, go on. No, no, that, that was my point. Yeah. He's just, he's, he's unbelievable. He's, uh, uh, he's, I mean, you know, COVID, COVID might change it for a bit and the prices might come down. But if you're talking, you know, normal times and, and his price tag, it's easily 100 million and probably a little bit more. So, well, I think that's the third, the third factor then involved is because of COVID. And again, because of the owners we have, we've got no need to sell anybody. We're no. getting market value or they're going nowhere. He's got a five year deal. He's on a lot of money. He's, he's probably worth more than that money we give him uh, for the club. Oh, yeah. So again, we've got no we've got no vested interest to even think about selling unless it's going to be ridiculous sums. It's uh, I don't think it's a, a starter question until he turns around and says, "All right, I've had enough." Yeah, and, and I think that from the sounds of things, from everything you've said so far, chatting here, and from what I've seen from the outside looking in from Villa and everything you know we've said about Dean Smith and that and the club it seems like they would probably, you know, of course when they have that meeting, they're going to try and keep him. Of course they are. But I think that they, it sounds like they would accept it and understand and be appreciative of what he's done. And as long as the right deal came along for the club, then he would get to probably, you know, go go Barca, Madrid, wherever it is. Um, so, yeah, you guys you guys are just, it's, it's, a, it's a good time. It's a good time for you. I think you guys, you're enjoying it, not just this season. I think that, I can see Villa sustaining, like you say, top seven for sure. I can see that happening, man. Absolutely. Um, and you mentioned you mentioned Ross Barkley. We didn't even talk on either on, on that part of the chat. Uh, great, great signing, in my opinion. Just playing to his strength, playing him where he's really good, like not rocket science, and he's been huge for us. Been absolutely huge. Yeah, I think he's starting to really come into his own before the the Brighton game where he got his hamstring injury and he's out for six weeks and then yeah. we obviously had our COVID outbreak and so it was just train recovery for the first team and there was no, he didn't get to train on top of having a hamstring issue. Um, I spoke to my brother when we first signed him. I think the one thing Ross Barkley needs is a good coach next to him who just puts his arm around him and looks after him mm. and then a team that plays into him. I think at the moment, especially the last few games, he looks like he's searching for a former self it looks like he's trying to remember how to be Ross Barkley. Right, okay. I think once he gets that little bit of confidence, I think there's another level or two. There's a big debate in Villa circles. Is he worth the, the reported 40 million? Yeah, it's a lot. I think it, but... give, given the form in the last five games, it, it would be very difficult to justify, but I can see the value in Ross Barkley again with a good coach like Dean Smith and a good team around him. I think Ross Barkley could be. Definitely a player we, we should be looking for that. And I think going back to the the owners once more and going back to the club where it is at the moment, um, it's a case of the value of the player. Do they think they can get more value out of Ross Barkley once they've paid out the money for him? Yes. I think that's definitely yeah. going to be a case. I think, again, Dean Smith with the setup at Brentford and understanding what value is and where value is in the transfer market and around adding value to players and how important it is. It wouldn't be an investment to make lightly, but I think there's a lot more that could still come from a Ross Barkey. He's definitely, on his days, definitely a Champions League level player. Oh, yeah, man.